0: and uh, to come and to worship the Lord Jesus, uh, and uh, praying that the, today will be just an encouragement uh, to you in a time of exhortation as we sing to the Lord and as we get into His Word, and praying that this will also be a time of encouragement for you if you're joining us via live stream. Uh, just one quick announcement this morning, and it's just a quick reminder that uh, we do have a congregational meeting after the service, um, and so if you are, uh, hope that you plan to stick around, uh, especially if you are a member, um, and also if you are watching us uh, via live stream, and you're planning on joining uh, the, uh, the meeting via live stream, and I hope that you do, uh, just uh, when you sign in, make sure that uh, in the chat box that you identify uh, yourself uh, so that we can uh, make sure that we can include you in the attendance. And so um, there will be uh, a packet uh, in the back. So before, so at the conclusion of our service, just make sure that, um, uh, that you pick up a packet in the back um, and then a kind of a, a, an attendance sheet will come around as well just to make sure that we have a, a quorum uh, so that we can proceed with our meeting. So that's all the announcement I have. Uh, let's go to the Lord and worship Him through some songs this morning.
1: Amen. All right, church, let's let's stand to worship this morning. Um, today's call to worship uh, that should prepare our hearts uh, comes from Ephesians 1, uh, verses 13 and 14. And the Word of God says, In Him you also when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Amen. So let's worship with that word in our hearts. Amen. Before the world was made, before you spoke it to be, you were the king of kings, yeah you were, yeah you were, and now you're reigning still, enthroned above all things, angels and saints cry out, we join them as we sing glory to God, glory to God, glory to God forever. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God forever. Forever. Yes, Lord, we worship you forever. Let's sing Creator God. God, you gave me breath so I could praise your great and matchless name. All my days, all my days, so let my whole life be a blazing offering. A life that shouts and sings the greatness of our King. Glory to God, glory to God, glory to God forever. To God, glory to God, glory to God forever. Listen and take my life, and take my life and let it be all for You and for Your glory. Take my life and let it be Yours. And take my life and let it be all for You and for Your glory. Take my life and let it be Yours we sing glory to God today glory to God glory to God forever glory to God glory to God and glory to God forever And oh precious is the Flow that makes me white as snow. No other fountain, I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Say, what can wash and what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again Nothing but the blood of Jesus And oh precious Oh precious is the flow That makes me white as snow No other founts I know Nothing but the blood of Lord, nothing and nothing can foresee a tone nothing but the blood of Jesus, not of good that I have done nothing but the blood of Jesus No pressure. the blood of Jesus. Worship you, Father. Justice and praise become my embrace to love you from the inside. from the inside, out of my soul, Christ out, Lord, yes Lord, amen, church you may be seated,
0: May read to us from 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord and let's pray. Father, we praise you. And we thank you for giving us your Son, who has made it possible for us to have fellowship with you. Jesus has not only made it possible, but also secured it so that this bond of fellowship is inseparable. Lord, what a joy and what a delight it is to know that you love us and that your Spirit is in us as a guarantee of that great love that you have for us. And as a guarantee of that fellowship that we have with you, we praise you and we thank you, Lord. Father, we pray for our church. We ask, God, that you may deepen our fellowship with you through your spirit. Lord, that you would incline our will to you so that we may be drawn to you. Lord, that we may call out as the psalmist did, who said, As a deer pends for flowing stream, so pants my soul for you, O Lord. We ask that you may deepen our fellowship with you and deepen our fellowship with one another and strengthen that bond that we have with one another through your Holy Spirit. Lord, as we continue to pray for our church, we pray specifically, Lord, for the Batistas. Lord, we ask that you would continuously pour your word, your will, your grace, and your love into their hearts as they worship you and as they pursue you as a family in their home. Lord, give them a growing consistency in their devotions. We pray that you may give them wisdom as they parents their children. Help them, Lord, to teach their children your word. Lord, and we pray and ask with earnestness, that you may be gracious, Lord, and, and, and save Annalise, and save Emma, and save Daniel, Lord. That you would grant them the understanding to, to comprehend the gospel, and you would grant them the faith to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, bless Edwin and the work of his hands and his work. Lord, we ask that you may also bless him and guide him as he continues to lead us week after week in singing songs to you in worship. Lord, we pray for all those in our church who are homebound, who are sick and who are ill. Lord, be gracious to them in these times. Lord, remind them of the permanent fellowship that they have with you through Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray that you may restore, that you may heal. We ask, Lord, that your saints may continue to seek you, and that they may even enjoy fellowship with you in these difficult times. God, we pray for our dear sister Aina in the Dominican Republic. God, we pray that you may bless the work of her hands and those who work alongside with her. God, we pray that you would provide all that they need for housing in order to have a more effective missions base. Lord, give her and others the creativity and the wisdom that is needed to share the gospel with those around them despite uh, the restrictions due to COVID. Lord, we also pray that you may continue to encourage them, that you may especially encourage her during these times of isolation, which can feel more oppressive some days than others, that you would come for her in those days when she feels especially lonely. Lord Jesus, we pray for New Life Baptist Church. We pray that you may encourage the saints who gather, that you may encourage them during these times, and we pray that you may deepen their fellowship with Christ and their fellowship with one another. Father, we pray for our country. Father, we pray for a great salvation in our country. God, would you be gracious and soft in hearts. God, would you bring many people to saving faith in Christ? Lord, would you remove scales from the eyes of those who have been blinded by the devil that they may see the light of your glory in the face of Jesus Christ? Lord, restore those religious affections that New England once saw with people turning to Christ and being drawn to Christ and wanting to give their lives to Christ. Lord, we pray that you would do this so ma- that many would be spared from the judgment of God. Lord, so that the joy of your church would increase in the inclusion of many more into its fellowship and all to your eternal glory. Lord, we pray for all pastors and church leaders and more so now with a heaviness just in the wake of the disturbing news that has come out of Rabbi Zacharias' ministry, Lord, God, we pray for your ministers. We ask that you would keep them and protect them, Lord. God, we pray that they would have a level of accountability that would prevent anyone from living a life that is disastrously contrary to the gospel. Lord, the scriptures call us to examine ourselves because what happened to many ministers who fall can happen to any one of us. So may ministers especially may we as ministers especially examine ourselves as the scriptures commands us to do and that we may have the humility to invite others into our lives to examine us as well lord and we do pray for rabbi zacharias's family and all those who are hurting we pray for your grace we pray for your peace for your restoration we pray lord that you may comfort them lord we trust you for these things We look forward to all that you are going to do. Lord, we know that your ways are higher than ours, and yet we pray these things in faith knowing that you hear us. And it is with earnestness, Lord, that we pray now the prayer that Jesus himself taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen if you would please turn to book of philippians chapter 1 our passage is chapter 1 verses 3 to 11 before we get into it, I want to just encourage, encourage us all to, to pray for, just in light of just these disturbing news that's come out of Rabbi Zacharias and his ministry, and just especially praying for his family and those closest to him and those who have been hurt. And I, I want to say a, a couple of words of encouragement. I think there can be words of encouragement, but I'm going to hold those off till next week because I think it'll, it'll actually close, it'll tie in very closely to the passage of next week. But for now, I do want to say, as I mentioned in the prayer, that it is important for all of us to continually examine ourselves, and that accountability is, is a means of grace. That accountability is something that we all need. And it's not necessarily, this is not my necessarily saying to you that you should have an accountability partner, but having those relationships in your life, those Christian friendships, where you invite people to look into your life, where you invite people to ask the hard questions and confront you, perhaps, about things that you might be doing that even just look questionable, I've been blessed by just a wealth of relationships in my life that I have provided, that kind of accountability that I think all pastors and church leaders need from two different sets of pastors groups that I that I see and meet with almost on a monthly basis to other friends that I meet with on a regular basis to other friends, other group of friends from different places who I invite to speak into my life, and they do. Uh, without shame and without reservation, and men that I actually touch base with almost on a daily basis. I'm also thankful for a, a wife who, who cares about our, our marriage as well and is adamant about protecting our marriage and is adamant about taking breaks and vacations, which I'm not always good about doing. So I really, really appreciate all that you do. I want to focus on our passage this morning, really get into what the Lord has for us uh, today. And thinking about, as I mentioned, I think, was it last week we started Philippians? Yeah, it was last week we started Philippians. Um, and talking about some of the different themes in the book of Philippians. And I mentioned just how I just, as I, as I thought and prayed about what to go through next as a church and was led to the book of Philippians, I, I thought that it would be incredibly helpful, at least I hope, That as we continue to live during these times of just COVID restrictions, the pandemic, and what does it look like for the church, and what does it look like to continue to have joy and fellowship with one another? I definitely saw the Lord's affirmation and going into this book as I went through these passages uh, this past week and just seeing how the Lord is continuing to exhort us to fellowship and to unity uh, because. I mean, Paul was writing these words to Christians who were being isolated, not because of a pandemic, but because the culture around them forced them to isolate themselves. They were cast off, disregarded. Not only that, but many of Paul's letters were written to the church when church was suffering persecution. Paul himself wrote these words when he was in prison, and he's continuing to exhort the church to fellowship and to unity, to love one another. And so, those exhortations, right, there's no exception to fellowship. It just looks differently. It just means that we have to be a little creative on how we do fellowship and life with one another, given that the context we're in. So, Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the praise, or rather to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, we ask that you may speak to us this morning, that your word would grab a hold of our hearts. And we pray, God, that through your word, that you may cause our love to abound. More and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that we as a church may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, all to your eternal glory and praise. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The question, or a question, here in the passage is what produces in the Apostle Paul to have such strong affections for the Christians in Philippi? What generates these strong emotions that he feels towards the church where he would say that he thanks God every time he thinks of them? That leads him to say that he makes all his praise for them with joy. That leads him to say that I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus? What is it that produces such strong affections in the Apostle Paul towards the Philippians? So I think the entire passage is kind of surrounding that question. So when I want to answer that question for us. And I'm not intending to skip any particular passages in verses 3 to 11, but I do want to get to verse 6 first, where he says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So Paul seems to have this strong confidence that God's work will be completed in these Philippians, in these Christians. What work exactly was begun in them? And you might say that it might be a particular way that they supported his ministry, that this particular work God will complete. It might include that, but I think it seems to me that Paul is getting at something deeper than that. And I think that this work that he's alluding to is the work of Christ, the regeneration of the Spirit of God brought about when somebody places their faith in Christ, when somebody understands the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God the Son has come into the world to live a perfect life as a human being, died on the cross for the sins of his people, that anybody who believes in Jesus will be forgiven of their sins, spared from the judgment of God, and receive eternal life with God. That when somebody believes in the gospel, the apostle John, in the gospel of John, tells us that this work is called a second birth; that one is born again. Or more technically, it is regeneration, caused by the Spirit of God. That this is the work that God begins in the life of a person who believes in Jesus Christ. In First Thessalonians five twenty three and twenty four, it says, "Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely." And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So the Spirit of God comes upon the life of a person who believes in Jesus Christ. It causes them to be born again. The Scriptures also tell us that they receive a new heart. And this is the work that the Lord has done. He's begun and He will complete. And the day of Jesus Christ. And given the several references in the book of Philippians, and we see some of those references here in our passage this morning, this day of Christ, I take to refer to the second coming of Christ, the return of Christ. What's encouraging about the day of Christ, when we will be perfected, where we will become as Jesus is, is that it gives us this assurance And Paul lives with this assurance, and that is God finishes what he starts. Now, you and I may have a tendency to start things that we never finish. I know I certainly do. Either because we get lazy, we get too tired, we get distracted, or maybe sometimes there are circumstances beyond our control that prevents us from finishing what we start. But that's not the case with God there will be no circumstance outside of his control that will prevent him from finish what he started. God never gets lazy in his work of sanctification in the life of a believer. God never lose his desire or his passion to see that work in your life. But God finishes what he starts. He will finish what he has started in your life, dear believer. And Paul was absolutely confident of that. And where did he get that confidence from? So, back to our passage in verse five, Paul says, Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Verse seven, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So there's been a consistent support of Paul's ministry since the very beginning of the church and then to the, later on, after, after years, to the monetary gift that, the, that the, the church sent to the believers, which Paul kind of references in Philippians chapter 4, verse 15, and so he calls them partners. He calls them partakers with him in grace. And that same word, that part, word partakers and, and partners, is the same word in the original language of the, of the New Testament, and that is the word is fellowship. Paul considers them to be engaging in fellowship with the Apostle Paul. in the fellowship of his grace, in God's grace. They are fellowshipping with him and in his imprisonment, and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. How exactly are they taking fellowship with the Apostle Paul? We tend to think of fellowship as something that we do in close proximity to one another, doing the same things, spending time with one another. But here, Paul saying that you are fellowshipping with me, even though we are miles apart, even though I am in prison and you're not. There's still this sort of fellowship that is happening between both of us, and the reason why he can consider this as a form of fellowship is because Christian fellowship is not just about living in close proximity to to one another and doing life with one another, but Christian fellowship essentially is about solidarity. And we see this so wonderfully in Matthew twenty-five, in verse thirty-four. This is Jesus kind of alluding to this this last day, I would say. Then the king, who is Jesus, will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. in this final day, and Jesus is telling them, you clothed me, you visited me, you cared for me. And these believers are surprised because, Jesus, we, we didn't even live in close proximity to you. We didn't see you face to face. We never visited you. We never clothed you. We never gave you food to eat. We never visited you in prison. But Jesus says, when you did it to one of the least of these, my siblings, those who are joined with me, through faith, you are also doing it to me. Jesus is pointing to this Christian solidarity that he has with his church and this solidarity that we have with one another. It's why Paul can say in 1 Corinthians twelve twenty six, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. The suffering of one is the suffering of many. The joy of one is also the joy of many. It's also why. Jesus confronted the pre-converted Paul on the Damascus Road and is on his way to persecute God's church. And he says, why are you persecuting me? Because Jesus has solidarity with his church. And this church has solidarity with one another. So he can say that you are fellowshipping with me, even though I'm in prison, because we have this solidarity that exceeds, that exceeds, that far exceeds just uh, the, 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 the limitations of space. It's not determined by how close we live to one another. And to him, this solidarity, that this fellowship that they have with one another is just, it's vibrant, it's passionate, it's alive. So then Paul has these affections For the church, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always, in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. He says again in verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. What, again, produces such strong affections in the Apostle Paul towards these Christian and Philippi, and it's their partnership in the gospel, their partnership with the ministry of the Apostle Paul. So it's their continued support of the Apostle Paul. They've given them monetary support. It is the the women in the church who have been partners with them in the gospel. We see in Acts chapter 16, what we see in Philippians chapter 4, it is the the church sending Epaphroditus to send what we will call a care package to the Apostle Paul. In these ways, they've become partners with him, And this has produced this strong affection in the Apostle Paul towards these believers. And it is that, that support that gives them this confidence that the Lord will complete his work in the life of the believers. And it's not just an emotional feeling. He doesn't say, I just feel that God is going to do this, but he is certain of it. He's setting his mind on this very fact. I know it says, it is right for me to feel this way about you. But technically, this has, carries the same idea that we see in Romans chapter 8, where Paul talks about the setting of the mind. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. So Paul is saying he's setting his mind on this, that God will complete his work in the life of the believers. And what grounds his setting his mind on this fact of this certainty of this reality is their support of his ministry it is really this fruit of salvation that they are bearing that they that he sees in their support of his ministry whereas christians we ought to be bearing fruit not in order to try to earn our salvation but because we have salvation in Jesus Christ. And the bearing of fruit is actually a means of grace for the believer because one of the, one of the ways that the fruit of the Spirit or bearing fruit is the means of grace to us is that it gives us an assurance. It gives us a confidence that we are, in fact, saved. And it gives other believers an assurance that we are, in fact, followers of Jesus Christ. The bearing of fruit is something that happens naturally when you have been supernaturally born again through the Spirit of God. But they are also there to help us to ease what might be a sensitive conscience when we are perhaps doubting whether or not we are followers or whether or not we are saved. And so, Paul has his deep affection for the church, grounded in their bearing fruit, which he sees in their continued support of his ministry. So, they're partners with him in the gospel. Then continuing in the passage, we see Paul's affection continues. Verse 8, he says, "'For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus.'" So he's pressing deeper into his affections for the Philippians. Now, I've mentioned, I've talked already so much about affections. I've said that word affections. Paul says the word affection here in the letter, but we haven't defined what that actually means yet. I think it's important to define our terms. What are the affections? I think no one is better to define that term than the person who's written extensively on the topic of affections, and that is Jonathan Edwards. To him, there are only two faculties of the human soul, and that is the reason, so it's kind of the the cerebral aspect of the soul, and then there is the will. So he would define the affections as the lively inclinings of the will. What inclines your heart in a certain direction? What inclines your heart to pursue this or to pursue that, to pursue this person, or to get away from a certain person? It's kind of like metal and magnet, right? Metal is attracted to magnet, But if you try to put two magnets together, you, you're going to have some resistance in trying to make those two magnets touch. Those, that's that's kind of like the will, how the will is. It's attracted to some things, but it's repulsed by others. And something, going back to the good work begun in the believer, the Spirit of God, Something supernaturally happens in this regeneration, in this being born again. And I mentioned this already, and that is that a heart, a new heart is given. And part of what it means to have this new heart, the Spirit of God, is that your heart is drawn to God. It's like God or Jesus is the magnet and we are the metal, that we cannot help but be attracted to the Lord. We're inclined to the Lord. We want to be with the Lord. We want to draw near to the Lord. We want him to draw near to us. We have a growing appetite for his word. We want to be in his word. We want to be in prayer. That's not the case with somebody who is an unbeliever. An unbeliever might try to live out his faith, by performing good works, but there's no love for God. There's no inclination that draws him to God. To be passionate about God, to seek the Lord. But that's different for the life of a believer who has received a new heart, the Spirit of God. Not only is he drawn to God, but he's also drawn to God's people. First John 3:14 says, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Part of what it means to be a believer, to have a new heart, the Spirit of God is that you want to be with other believers, right? which makes it incredibly difficult during these times when we want to be with one another. the heart of a believer wants to serve, wants to fellowship, wants to engage with other believers. Yes, we're required to find creative ways to do that in these times, but there's still this growing desire to love God's people. And here, Paul called upon God as a witness to his affection. So Paul is saying that he feels this inclination towards the church. He feels drawn to the church. He wants to be with the church, so much so that he says how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. So if any were doubting his affections for them, he says, I call upon God as a witness to how much I love you. Paul is moved by the affections of Christ toward his church. And what are these affections of Christ towards his church? What do these affections look like? How would we describe them? How do we know that God loves his church through Christ? We might look, for example, at John 17 in the prayer of Jesus. How much does Christ love his church? He prays for his church. And the church may be one with him. How much does Christ love the church? He prays in that prayer John 17... He says in that prayer that he gives her his glory. He also says in that prayer that he desires the church to be with him. He desires the church to also see his glory, to behold his glory. Upon his, Jesus' departure, he delegates responsibility to his apostles to tend to and to feed his flock. He considers himself in solidarity with his church. To the degree that to persecute God's church is to persecute God himself, to persecute Christ. How much does Christ love the church? Ephesians five twenty five, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does to the church, because we are members of his body. That is how much Christ loves his church, that he gave himself up for her. And he continues to wash her through the word. that he continues to sanctify her. Christ loves the church. Christ loves the members of his church. I'm going to tell you something that you probably haven't heard in a while, perhaps. I'm going to tell you something that maybe you're coming into this morning and perhaps doubting. I'm going to say something to you that maybe you hesitate to say to yourself or to affirm. That is this. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. He loves you. As difficult as it might be to affirm that to yourself at times, Jesus loves you. He does. He really, really does. He wants to remind you of that this morning. He cares for you, He cares for His church. He wants to see you grow. His heart is inclined to you. He feels affections towards you. He wants to be with you. He's drawn to you. He wants to feed you with his word. Jesus loves you. He really does. Paul says that he is he yearns for the church with the affection of Christ Jesus. Later on, he says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The reason I'm mentioning that is because this is kind of the same thing here. Even though Paul is saying that it is Christ living in him, and so in the same way, the affections that he feels for his church is not really his affections, but it's the affections of Christ that he feels towards the church. This is the Lord speaking to us this morning. The affections that Paul feels towards his church is the affection that Christ feels for his bride. It is the affection that Christ feels for Seacoast Community Church. The heart of Christ is inclined to you and to me. And so it is with those deep affections that Paul prays for the church. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So he prays for love abounding with knowledge and discernment. What does this mean? I think... we might be led to misinterpret what he's saying if we take each of those and define them separately. As we think of knowledge, knowledge as information, as facts, facts even concerning the gospel, discernment is the the choosing between right and wrong. Discernment essentially is the application of knowledge. Not just that, it is choosing between what's right and what's wrong, between what's better, between what's best and what's Better between what's good and what's better than good. And love, love is sacrificial. Love isn't just a feeling, but love is also a choice. But love tends to be fickle and weak when it's not grounded in some kind of knowledge. But what kind of love might he be talking about here? What is he talking about? What exactly is Paul's prayer for the church? And for this, we have to interpret it together. Knowledge of the Christian gospel, knowledge of truth, knowledge of what the Word says, and the application of that knowledge, and what binds together that application, that knowledge is love, because it is love with knowledge and discernment that directs that knowledge and application in the right direction that is towards God and towards His people. When you know the truth, when you are digesting the truth, when you are swimming in the truth, when you are yearning and hungering for the truth, when you are eager to apply that truth with love, which binds love and application, or which binds knowledge and application. They cannot help but have be directed in the right place. Again, that is towards God and towards others. And what's the overarching purpose? What is the purpose behind this prayer? And that is so that the church may approve what is excellent. What does that mean? This isn't just discerning the true gospel from false gospel, so I think it includes that, but I think it's much more than that. The word excellent you don't see very often in the in the New Testament. I think it's only like three times. But that word excellent technically is the same word used in the book of Hebrews, where it's talking about the ministry in the name of Jesus as that being superior to the angels. It's the same in Romans chapter two, verse seventeen talking about specifically the Jews and how they can approve what is excellent. They can approve what is excellent because they are instructed from the law of God. So this word excellent just simply means superior, greater, better. The overarching purpose is so that the church may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ that is fully acquitted, having the fruit produced in the life of the Christian that comes from the righteousness of Christ. It is a blamelessness. It is coming to the day of Christ without falling away. So overall, the meaning of this particular prayer is so that the church may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless. So Paul's desire is that the church will live an excellent life will live a superior life. The quality of your life is not determined by how much stuff you have. The quality of your life is not determined by how much or how little you have in your bank account. The quality of your life is not determined by the wealth of relationships that you have in your life or the lack of relationships in your life. The quality of your life is not determined even by how many kids you have. The quality of your life is not even determined by whether or not you're single or married. What makes your life a more excellent life is your bearing fruit that comes from the righteousness of Christ that leads to right living. And right living is loving God and loving others. So the quality of your life is determined by how consistent your life is with the life of Christ. How much are you you imitating Christ? How much are you walking in the footsteps of Christ? And Paul is telling us that the, the superior life is one that seeks to imitate Christ, It is a man or woman of God that does his or her part to move the life further along in the process of completion that God will bring about one day on the day of Christ. That's why Paul says later, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And lastly, it is to the praise and the glory of God. As I mentioned in last week's sermon, the city of Philippi, the residents of the city of Philippi were, were concerned with honor and glory. They were looking for those superior positions, having those superior titles to which people can look up to them. But Paul is trying to help the church to understand that that's not what is superior. That is not the superior life. That the superior life is concerned with the gospel. The superior life is concerned with loving God and loving his people and maintaining the life of Christ. And it is all not to the honor and glory of the church, not of the individual members, not to anybody else, but to the honor and glory of God and God alone. So, to conclude, a couple of points of application. The first is, I would say, is quite simply to love the bride of Christ. Christ has this deep affection for his church. He loves his church, and we also should. But it is one thing to say that I love you, and another thing to do something about it. But love does require action. If we waited to feel like doing something, we probably wouldn't get a whole lot done in our lives now, would we? I don't feel, I don't always feel like doing a lot of things that I'm required to do each and every day. But oftentimes, even when you don't feel like doing something and you do it anyway, the feelings follow. So if you find yourself in a place where maybe you don't have these, these growing love and affections for the church, I would encourage you to don't let that prevent you from seeking the church and fellowshipping with others and serving others and trusting that through the spirits the, the feelings will follow. I would encourage you to think about God's people. One way to most effectively stir your affections for God's people is to pray regularly for God's people. Pray for the church and spend time with God's people. I know that it looks differently now with COVID and just the everything surrounding COVID. But COVID doesn't prevent us from pursuing one another. I mean, again, the church in Paul's time had it much more difficult than we did. And their bonds of fellowship. So it seems, at least in the, in the, in the letter of Philippians, that their bonds were strong. Right? And, our, and I want our bonds of fellowship to only increase and only be strengthened. And now, during these difficult times, is the time that is not only that our fellowship is being tested, but it's the time for the fellowship to be strengthened. Seek to serve God's people. And then lastly, set your mind on the superior life. We see this setting of the mind actually several times just in this passage alone in verse 6, verse 7, and 9, and, and, and 10. Paul is engaging the mind, and we ought to set our mind on the excellent superior life as it's defined for us in the Scriptures. And one way to do that, I think, is by asking, yourself, asking of yourself, is my life bearing fruit? Because you see, good trees are always producing fruit. A good tree never stops. Don't ask yourself, have I been bearing fruit? Because that's past tense. But ask yourself presently, am I bearing fruit? Ask the Lord to show you. Ask the Lord to show you where you need to grow. Be honest with yourself. And even ask yourself, are there sins in my life that are impeding me from producing fruit and doing something about it with it's praying, asking others to pray for you, have seeking some kind of accountability. Another way to determine the fruit of your life is by asking, How am I loving my brothers and sisters in Christ? What am I doing to pursue them? Part of what makes the Christian life such a superior life is that in Christ you gain such a wealth of relationships. You gain these brothers and sisters in Christ. You gain a family in Christ. And so we As family members, we pursue one another. We love one another. And making sure that we're not only loving in words, but also loving in action as well. So may the Lord give us an increasing love for him and his people. And may he increase our affections for him and his people so that we may be magnetized to Christ and so that we may also be magnetized to one another as well. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for this supernatural work that you have done in our hearts. But Lord, we come before you and we, we just admit that the affections aren't always there. They're not always as lively. They're not always, as, they're not always burning as they should be. But God, we pray that you may, if that, the flame of our hearts is dying out, Lord, would you add fuel to that fire? If for whatever reason that fire has died out, would you set it ablaze? so that our affections, so that our inclinations may be drawn to you and may be drawn to one another. Help us to pursue you. Help us to pursue one another. Just as you have pursued us and just as you continue to pursue us, we trust you, Lord, for these things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Amen. Let's stand uh, in worship um, as a response of today's word. Amen. Sing let know Death, where is your sting? in oh? Hell where is your victory in oh church? Come stand in the light. The glory of God has defeated the night in oh where is your sting? in oh your victory and oh church come stand in the light Heart god is not dead he's alive he's alive christ is risen from the dead trampling over death by death come awake come awake Come and rise up from the grave. Christ is risen from the dead. We are one with him again. Come awake, come awake, come and rise I'm singing again. Christ, Christ is risen from the dead, trampling over death by death. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave. Christ is risen from that He has. We are one with Him again. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave. the highest care. i chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. Yes, I am who you say I am. Who the house. In my father's house, there's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Let's sing it together. When the sun sets free, oh, is free indeed. Yes, Lord. I'm a child of God. Yes, I covers Christ. Let's sing in my father's house. In my father's house there's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Yes, Father, Lord, we worship you for who you are. God, uh, we're grateful for the grace and the mercy that you have placed over us uh, as a church, as believers, and I pray God that we may continue to worship you, Lord, as a body and as individuals seeking to worship and praise you wholeheartedly in all that we do. And with that Lord, I um, for today's benediction, um, we have Romans 12 verses nine through eleven it says, "Let love be genuine." Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. And do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord, church. You are dismissed. God bless you. Uh, One second, actually. Uh, Jay will be making an announcement, I believe.